to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. I'm joined by David Rubenstein. He's the co-founder of the Carlisle Group, a New York Times bestselling author, and he is out with his new book. It's called How to Invest, Masters on the Craft, and we've had David on for his American Experiment book before and, and other ones where he's put up transcripts essentially of interviews that he's done on his PBS series. So David, this one now focusing on investments, on money and things like that. And and I think a lot of times, especially in a town like this, this is a very blue collar town where it's not a lot of uh, investment as far as people, you know, Warren Buffett type stuff. But what makes this book attractive to somebody who's just a everyday working person who maybe puts money into 401k and doesn't really think about it beyond that? Everybody uh, has some retirement assets, and, and I think it's important to kind of understand what's going on with those assets. For the average person, I think it's a mistake to try to be Warren Buffett. It's just not realistic. But I think the average person should know what their retirement assets are doing and how they are being managed. If they have some good manager or not good manager, understand the fees. And this book is really designed to give people a sense of what the great investors do, but also uh, how one should manage their own money when they have you know, less money than someone like Warren Buffett to manage. This is something that you've been doing for years, and yet you admit in the book that you still learn every time you talk to a lot of the great investors. And, and investing is nothing new to the American economy or anything like that. It's been going on for hundreds of years. But when you sit down and, and pull back and look at all the people that you talk to in this book, are there certain keys that have run through their lives or certain aspects of them that make them very identifiable to realize this person has been successful? Sure. What, like what are they? Having common, the common qualities of the great investors are they're pretty good in school. They tend to come from lower middle class or maybe blue collar families, tend to be pretty good at math. They tend to be very focused. They love reading and they can't absorb too much information. They tend to go against conventional wisdom. Um, they go against the grain. They tend to be people who um, uh, give away a fair amount of their money. They tend to be very philanthropic. And so there are a lot of these common characteristics, but in the end, they tend to be people who are fairly control-oriented and fairly like to make the investment decisions themselves and not delegate it. How much of investment is just a ability to take on risk? Guts. Well, investing is always, to some extent, some risk. Everything is somewhat risky, but, but I think it depends on your, your quotient for risk. I mean, obviously, going into high venture capital or crypto kind of investments are going to be very risky. On the other hand, if you're buying U.S. Treasury bonds or things like that, not so risky. So it's a question of what your status is in life, how much tolerance you have for risk, and everybody has a different situation. If you're 80 years old, you have less tolerance for risk than probably somebody 25. I know that a lot of times people think about investments and they don't understand it beyond stocks and bonds, even if they understand that. But you, you've categorized these things. And can you explain the difference between cutting edge and alternative? Yes. Because I think that's a really interesting yes. distinction. Yes. The mainstream was what I call the bonds and stocks, and that's traditional. And most people recognize that, and to some extent, real estate. Alternatives is what has emerged over the last 30 or 40 years. It's private equity, which is really buyouts to some extent, venture capital, uh, distressed debt, things that are, you get a higher rate of return on the traditional stocks and bonds. Cutting edge is things that are relatively new and much riskier and not quite as well established. For example, cryptocurrencies, uh, not that well established, or, or SPACs, not that well established. But they are potentially high flyers and potentially you can lose a lot of money too. Something else that I thought was interesting is I know you practiced law for a while and realized you didn't like it right. and got into doing something else. 
you talk about the ability of of keeping up a profession where you're just doing it to make money. Can you explain how that works as it relates to investing? Yes, I mean, um, if you're doing something uh, and you don't really love it, you probably won't be great at it. I wasn't that great at practicing law because I didn't like it and really didn't enjoy it. To really be great at investing or anything, you really have to enjoy it. And the people that are great investors love this so much so that if they were paid virtually nothing, they would still do it. Obviously, they've made a lot of money, and probably money at this point doesn't mean that much to them. It's just a matter of keeping score and outwitting other people. But, but I think people enjoy it. Even if they've made billions of dollars, they're in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. They're still doing it. Warren Buffett's 90-some, and he's still doing it, and he still loves it. Do you notice a competitive nature that rivals some of the sports figures you've talked about among these investors? Yes. I mean, these investors, are. there's some rivalries from time to time, and people always want to out. Uh, score somebody else, but generally when you reach a certain status in life, um, they're not as competitive as they were earlier when they're trying to make a mark for themselves. When you reach the age of 60, 70, 80, you're pretty well established and your reputation is pretty well known, but in your 30s and 40s when you're just trying to create your reputation, you're probably competing against others and you want to outwit them and outsmart them and there's more competition at that age level than probably later in life. I'm chatting with David Rubenstein about his brand new book, How to Invest, Masters on the Craft, where he talks to several people who are involved in the investment area of the world. And David, something else I always wondered about when the, these investors sit down and they'll interview with you, and you've clearly done this job too as far as investing and managing people to do this. Do they play it very close to the vest? Are they always open with you about everything you ask? Well, most people are reasonably open. I mean, I, the people that I've interviewed are generally people that I've known for the years. I really rarely interview people I've never heard of or rare, don't know. It's so most of the reasons I'm able to get some of these interviews with prominent people is I've dealt with them over the years, and they feel reasonably relaxed in opening up to me. Um, obviously, I don't ask questions that are designed to embarrass them or, or upset them, but, you know, generally speaking, people will open up, and in the course of an interview, people get more comfortable with the line of questioning. They tend to be more relaxed and tend to open up. But does investing seem to work that there's certain secrets that can give away, or is it mostly strategy, and, and is there any silver bullet that anybody's ever held close enough that they wouldn't even reveal? I Well, if they didn't reveal them, then I guess I wouldn't know them, but uh, I would say that everybody has their own little uh, secrets, but generally it's not any more complicated than reading a lot about what you're doing and taking a guess, and the guess is really about the future. All of the life is really about guessing what the future is going to bring in any part of your life. In, in, in the investor world, it's about uh, guessing the future as well, but also you have a metric, profitability or internal rates of return, which ga gauge whether or not you've been good at guessing the future. I wouldn't say there's any secrets that anybody has that nobody's ever heard of. It's really hard work, focus, making certain that you, you, you're willing to admit your mistakes, and if you make a mistake, inevitably you will go on to the next thing and, and, and forget the mistake. I thought it was interesting you brought up philanthropy as being important a trait of a lot of these great investors. Why does philanthropy seem to be so important? Well, when you get to be pretty wealthy, you know, you have limited choices what you can do. You can give your money to your children, which generally doesn't produce uh, healthy and, uh, you know, um, ambitious children. Obviously, there's exceptions, but generally people don't want to give all their money to their children. So what are you going to do? Well, you can uh, wait till you die and have somebody give it away to charitable institutions, or you tend to do it while you're alive. And most people conclude that they'd rather see the benefits of it while they're alive. So most of these individuals who are not giving away their last dollar, typically they're pretty wealthy, but they're giving away a fair amount of money. A lot of them, like me, have signed the giving pledge and they're giving away at least half of their money, and 
I guess people feel that doing so is a useful way to give back to society for their success. When you see these different fund managements come up over the years, and, uh, and you know, you've got the Carlisle Group, and there's different ones around the world that do this. Are there ones that you can pick out that, as you look at, you can say, this is going to work or this isn't going to work, based on things that you've tried and that you just kind of watch the things come and go? Sure. There's always some groups and some uh, uh, young people who are building groups that you think they're very smart, they're hardworking, they're focused, they know what they're doing, and they're really likely to make a difference in the investment world. And there's some you think who are mostly they have their egos out of control, or they really want to make money for the wrong reasons, or they're not as attentive to their investors, and they're really more selfish than they are in, 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 in you would prefer. So sometimes you, you can gauge that. And when I interview some people, I can tell whether there's some people I would give my money to, and the people I wouldn't give my money to. When you look at the people that you would give money to, a lot of the people in this area work for the government, and so that's uh, IPERS, the retirement program that's being managed by a, a government type of agency. They hire the people. Are those very risk averse, or are those subjects who uh, the, the same risk levels oh. that anything else has? Well, people who work for the government, and I worked in the government myself, and my father worked in the government his entire life. He worked in the post office. Those people generally who work in the government have fixed income levels. They're, you, know, you don't get rich working for the government, and therefore you tend to be very cautious and very conservative about managing your money and really don't want to take uh, risks that are going to lose capital for you. And so they tend to be in relatively, uh, I would say, secure fixed income or very secure public equity kinds of uh, investment, they tend not to go on the outer edge of, of things like crypto or things like that. All right. Well, it's always fascinating to hear the things that you learn from people you talk to and that you then share with us. The book is How to Invest, Masters on the Craft by David Rubenstein. It's available everywhere. David, thanks for joining us again to talk about this. My pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Money, money, money.